So the reading is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. Now, Israel, hear the decrees and the laws I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, that the, Lord the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to what I command and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor, the Lord your God, destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow and then wrote them on two stone tablets. This is God's word. Uh, morning, everyone. If we've uh, not met, uh, my name is Matt Fuller. I'm the vicar here. But let me, uh, let me pray one more time as we um, strangely, perhaps, come to look at Deuteronomy 4 for a couple of weeks. Let me lead us in prayer. Our great God and Father, thank you that we can assemble this morning to hear you speak. Father, we take it for granted, but what a privilege that is. And so we ask we'd hear you rightly and therefore live in a manner which can change the world. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, things are not quite back to normal, are they? Uh, so usually round about this time of year, after the church service, we'd have a sort of annual vision thing, but we can't have a lunch in church, not quite yet. We can go to the park, so that's good. We'll do that. Uh, but I don't want to shout in the park. So we're trying to sort of have our annual vision thoughts in the service itself. 
Now, normally this time of year, then, we'd outline some of the thoughts for the year ahead. And as I'd always do, I'll look back at previous years just to make sure we're not waffling. Actually, the things we'd said we were going to try and do, we'd try and do or do. Um, but as I look back over the last couple of years, you go, oh, <laughs> oh, well, um, you can't plan everything through, can you? So 2019, much of the talk was of a building project. Ah, uh, and beyond that, a church plant. Ah, uh, um, last year, okay, it was a bit more. <laughs> uh, last year, in autumn 2020, we said the key aim was for the church to press on from Philippians 3 and keep growing. And I think we can give thanks, as we heard from Christy and others, that that has been the case. But at the beginning of this academic year, I guess people ve- feel, well, I think it varies a lot. Uh, I guess some, after the last 18 months of COVID, some are a bit gung-ho, like, right, can we get on with things now? That was that, and now we just want to get on and, you know, let's, let's pick up the pace and keep going. Others are a bit more, well, look, oh, yeah, 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 I'm just a little, bit, I'm a little bit dizzy still from the last 18 months. Just give me a moment more to catch my feet. Um, and others, frankly, are just exhausted still. So what are we going to do in the year ahead? Well, if it isn't too underwhelming, what I'd love us to focus on for the next year of church life is that we do church simply and do it really well. How about that? Pretty underwhelming, huh? Let's do church simply, but do it really well. And so we're turning to Deuteronomy 4 to look at some of, just some of the fundamental, some of the basic elements of church life. So this morning, we're going to think about how do we change the world, and next week, how do we do something of lasting worth? So those are good things. But Deuteronomy 4, why Deuteronomy 4? Well, it is one of the earliest church gatherings in the Bible. Certainly, that's how the New Testament describes it. It's Moses preaching to a church in the wilderness. They're just outside the promised land, the nation of Israel. They're just about to go in. And really, where they're whole of chapter 4 is going is to verse 35. You were shown all these things that God has done so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. There is no God that speaks like the Lord. There is no God that rescues like the Lord in Jesus Christ. There's no one like him. But in our passage today, the first 14 verses, just want to look at how Moses explains how it is that this church in the wilderness can transform the world. You and I are not Israel in the plains of Moab. But how can a church in the wilderness, a bit strong, isn't it, in a culture which is hostile? Maybe not. Maybe that's too strong. Indifferent, perhaps, to the Christian faith. In a cultural wilderness, not Spiritual wilderness is a better term. I don't think you want to say cultural wilderness in London. Uh, But in a spiritual wilderness, how can a small gathering of people change the world? Well, that's what Moses is going to look at. Because while there are many uncertainties in the next 12 months or so, we do want to change the world. I I received an email overnight from a dear friend in Sydney who, who is pastor of a church there, saying, oh, brother, pray for us. The government is now saying in October, you can only come to church if you've had two jabs. 
I've got at least 15% of the church that won't get jabbed. It's going to be tough. It's going to be divisive. Oh, the ebb and flow of such things. But you remember, for, for those of us who are here in March, we had the Not the Getaway, the lovely Ray Galea preaching, saying, so sorry, we can do everything. Um, but the ebb and flow across the globe. I mean, it's still uncertainties, aren't there? But while there are many uncertainties, we can still have the ambition to change the world. How we go about that? Well, two little things. Follow God's word and you'll show his wisdom. And you've got to gather God's people to hear and fear him. And doing that, and you'll change the world, says Moses. First, these first eight verses, follow God's word and you'll show his wisdom. Okay, chapter four, verse one. Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God of your ancestors is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it. Keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. We think more about this next week, but the Bible is not as a la carte. I'll have a bit of that and a bit of that, but I don't like that. And don't take, and take, take off the onions. I hate the onions. Um, you can't do that with the Bible. It's God's word. You take it. And then he gives an example of what happens when they go for a pick and mix approach. It goes wrong, verse 3. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Pure. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Pure. But all of you held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. Okay. Pure is just a place. Baal just means Lord or God. So on their travels, the nation of Israel came to Baal Pure. And the local folk religion there, you can see why it might have some appeal. The local folk religion was, if you sleep with the prostitutes, God is happy. Now, you can see why that might have some appeal to some. Your choice, you follow what the Lord says and obey him, or you sleep with a prostitute and that makes the local God happy. It's sort of, you know, making Woodstock look pretty tame as a sort of phenomenon, that sort of generation of uh, just go for it. Well, you can see why that had appeal for some. And so some followed the local religion. It went very badly. God said, you abandon me, I'll abandon you. But those who, verse 4, held fast to the Lord your God, are still alive today. Now, you could easily read this and think, golly, a bit rough in Moses' day. Glad I don't belong to that sort of church. Um, You know, disobey and whoops. Uh, uh, God says no, goodbye. Um, That's a bit much better. What a relief to know that Jesus Christ came and died for all my sins, and so whatever I do can be forgiven. Glad I don't have to listen to what God says and live and obey him. Hold on a minute. Two statements there. One is true, one is not. Um, Isn't it great to know that Jesus came and died for all my sins so that whatever I do can be forgiven? Wonderfully true. The heart of the Christian faith. I mean, if you know nothing else about Christianity, that's what you need to know. That when he dies upon the cross, Jesus takes away the punishment for all your sins. You can go and be with God forever, know him forever. That's the heart of the Christian faith. But the second statement, ah, so I don't have to listen to what God says and obey him, false. Because someone who becomes a Christian says, no, I want to do that. It's only the charlatans who say both statements. Jesus has paid for all I've done wrong. I can do whatever I want now. 
you'd have to be slightly sort of Christian nerdy to have picked up that uh, during lockdown um, over the last 18 months, there was one cheeky website that uh, popped up and became a bit of a phenomenon. Preachers and Sneakers uh, was the website. Preachers and Sneakers, it's, well, yeah, leave it up, but it's come up. As, it was a website initially, and it was just one bloke who said, hey, look, everyone's broadcasting online now, all these churches. Let me just look. Look, here's a guy preaching that um, Christians should... Um, you know, not be materialistic and should give away their money and, and, and be generous. And, and look, he's wearing sneakers, um, trainers for the Brits. Um, uh, he's wearing um, trainers, and they're like costing over $1,000. And look at this guy's suit. He's preaching on be generous to the ministry here. And his suit, it's like $10,000 for that jacket. Uh, and he just went through, was just picking out hypocrisy. And then lots of others went, yeah, 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 yeah. And it sort of became a sort of, you know, one of these sort of pile-on phenomenons. And now the bloke who said, Ab has published a book, and he's made enormous amount of money out of it. And his sneakers are now worth a lot of money. Uh, but it's, you know, in one sense, he's not claiming that he should be different. But the, that level of hypocrisy of declaring and preaching one message but living differently, I mean, people pick up on it. And that's, a, in one sense, a frivolous example compared to the sort of more gross hypocrisy that exists. Well, the New Testament, of course, would say the same thing. 1 John 1, if we say we have fellowship with Jesus while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Declaring I follow Jesus, but ignoring what he teaches, you can't do that. And God says, look, you can't claim to be mine if you do that. But of course, some in this Moses' time got it right. Chapter 4, verse 4, those who held fast to the Lord your God, they were fine. Absolutely fine. Those who held fast. It's the same word as Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. A man will leave his parents and hold fast to his wife. Commitment, in other words. Those who are committed Loyalty, not perfection, just loyalty. My, uh, my son, good lad in lots of ways, but he is a teenager, uh, and therefore ingratitude is pretty high on his list of attributes. Um, apparently, I'm really unfair. Go figure. Um, uh, you know, and there's sort of grumbling and complaining, and this, yeah, 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 all of that. But he's loyal. Oh, he may be rude to me, not to you. Um, but he's loyal. And if you're rude to me, he'll take you on. If you're critical of me, he'll defend my back. Because fundamentally, he's on my side, even though in the day-to-day of life, I am grossly unfair and the worst parent on the planet. Fundamentally, he's loyal. He's loyal. He's a delight in many ways. Yeah? So his love for me, it's not perfect. Of course it isn't, but it's real. It's loyal. And that's what Moses is talking about. And the Christian, their love for the Lord, it's not perfect. Of course it's not. But it's loyal. It's faithful. It listens to him. And verse 5 repeats the point. See, look, I've, I've taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you're entering to take possession of it. Okay. Then verses 6 to 8 really reveal the reason Certainly here, one of the key reasons for this loyal listening. Observe my word, these laws, carefully. For this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about these decrees and say, 
Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way their Lord God is near us when we pray to them? What other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? Do you see what he's saying? If you follow what God teaches, even though you're this tiny tin pot little nation, all the other nations around you will look on and go, huh, interesting. I mean, I don't like everything they subscribe to, but they live wisely. That is defined, they live righteously. Their family life is good. The way they conduct justice is good. Huh. Maybe we can learn. Maybe, actually, tell me more about your God. That's what is expected to take place. In that sense, no different to what Peter would say in the New Testament, 1 Peter 2, live such good lives among the unbelieving world that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. A lot of people say, look, I don't like this about Christians. I don't like this, what they say. But actually, they live quite well. Striking, this is a while ago now, but... Um, this was put in a very striking fashion by Roy Hattersley, who some would remember as the former leader, deputy leader of the Labour Party, but more well-known now as a historian, um, made this extraordinary statement in the, uh, the Guardian newspaper in an article a little while back. Put it this way, we atheists, like him, have to accept that most believers are better human beings. Wow. I mean, I don't think most atheists would accept that. But anyway, there's Roy Hadsley. Civilized people, all civilized people, do not believe that drug addiction and male prostitution offend against divine ordinances. But those who do, like the Christians, are the men and women most willing to change the fetid bandages, replace the sodden sleeping bags, and probably most difficult of all, argue without a trace of impatience that the time has come for some serious medical treatment. Good works, John Wesley insisted, are no guarantee of a place in heaven but they are most likely to be performed by people who believe heaven exists. Strike, isn't it? I mean, he'd just written a biography of William Booth because um, he found the man interesting, uh, the founder of um, the Salvation Army. But he's saying, look, obviously, <laughs> sensible people don't believe the Christian faith, obviously, he says, but you've got to say, they live better than us. So I don't know what to do about that. Or more recently, uh, the other day, in the, uh, I was reading in the Times newspaper, different newspaper, um, they're talking about homelessness. Obviously, homelessness is eradicated in one sense while COVID's been on because uh, certainly in London, the hotels uh, have taken the homeless, which has been an amazing thing. But saying that this is not sustainable, obviously, the hotels probably will want their rooms back to, you know, to customers who pay a lot more. Um, what happens then? Does everyone just go back on the streets? And they gave the example of Peter Cunningham. So we've got, uh, Peter Cunningham was a broker in the city. Uh, until he became a Christian age 21, which, as you can see from the photo, was a few years ago. Um, he's now in his 60s. But for um, the last 20 years, he's been working as Pastor Pete of uh, a church in Southport, uh, Lancashire, just up from Blackpool. And it, before COVID hit, he and his church had completely wiped out homelessness in the town of Southport. It was striking, the report in the newspaper, 
that they'd bought 68 houses, they housed 350 people, distributed over 100 bags of food every week. And let me quote what the Times put. Pastor Pete runs a fundamentalist church. They take the teaching of Jesus Christ really seriously. So they do sell some of their possessions and they do give to the poor. It's weird, but it seems to work. I mean, it's an amazing sort of level of condescension, isn't it? I mean, like, they take the Bible seriously, and it works. How can, go figure, huh? I mean, what do we do with that? Um, but you read on in the article, and the, the church has grown enormously too, because the watching world, everyone knows Pastor Pete and his church in Southport. It's not a vast town. And they go, that's interesting. Tell me more about your Jesus. No one is saved by being housed. But the watching world says, yeah, how you, you actually, you give until it costs you. Tell me more about your Jesus. The great hope of this world, according to Deuteronomy 4, is Christians living authentic, faithful lives. Christian families modeling commitment to one another. Christian families having a concern for the lonely, provision for the single mothers. Now, there is a difference between the Old Testament and the New in this regard. Really, the, the, the picture of the Old Testament is come and see how we live. Whereas in the New Testament, it's that, come and see how we live and go. Christians are to go and make disciples, Matthew 28. But as a minimum, you read this and you recognize, look, no one takes the message of Jesus seriously unless we follow him faithfully. You're just viewed as preachers and sneakers, or worse. Now, if we want people to take Jesus seriously, we have to follow him faithfully. So how do we change the world? Well, we follow God's word and we reveal or show people his wisdom. If we're going to do that, we need to gather God's people or assemble them to hear and to fear. The text does say assemble. I just couldn't get out of my head Avengers assemble. And I thought others might have the same annoying thought in their head. So can we just say gather? But that's just get over that. That's my thing. That's my problem, probably not yours. And now I've said it, I've made it your problem. So that's unhelpful. Secondly, gather God's people to hear and fear. Verse 9. Now, verse 9 is the first of three warnings in the chapter. We'll get to the others and and focus a little bit more on them uh, next time. But verse 9, only be careful And watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Let's look at these imperatives here. Teach them to your children, to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land. And may teach them to their children. Now, what's he referring back to? He's referring back to uh, when they're at Mount Sinai or Horeb, same place, two different names. And um, if you remember Exodus 19, when it first comes up in the scriptures, it's like they get there, the whole nation is gathered at this mountain. It's like a volcano on fire. It's just the, 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 the thunder, the lightning, and everyone is just terrified. But the thing that they really, well, let me read it. Verse 11, you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. 
You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. You can read on in more detail, but certainly in Exodus 19, there's this volcano exploding in front of the people. But the thing they're scared of is the voice of the Lord. They can deal with the fire. Now, that is an unusual thing. In the um, you know, thought experiment, obviously not for real, but can you, can you imagine if all of a sudden this building was on fire? I don't know how you set something quite so ancient of stone on fire uh, quickly. But imagine all of a sudden it, it, it's, on, it's on fire and the whole building's on fire and the angels and their trumpets are sort of flying around as they uh, fall from the ceiling. Uh, and no one's fussed by that. But all you sit there is, oh, just not the voice, not the voice of Matt Fuller. Not because it's grating, I don't know. Um, but not, you know, it's the fire you'd fear. In Exodus 19, they don't care about the fire. They don't care about the fact that the mountain is trembling. It's they say we can't. It's the voice of the Lord. That's the most overwhelming thing. Well, we think more about that next time. But what does he say? First of all, it's verse ten. Assemble the people. Assemble the people before me to hear my words, so that they may learn to revere me, fear me, as long as they live in the land. Assemble the people. Because that is God's plan throughout the whole of the scriptures. Genesis 3, Genesis 11 onwards, when after the Tower of Babel incident, the world is, humanity is scattered across the globe. The plan of the scriptures is that God is assembling, Ephesians 1, 9 language, uniting all things under Jesus Christ. That's the plan for history, that eventually we get united under the Lord Jesus Christ. When we assemble, we're in line with God's plan. When we do our own thing, we're resisting God's plan. Christopher Ash, a number would know from uh, his time here, put it in these words. When we listen to our own babble, we're scattered. When we assemble under God's word, we're gathered. It's a very helpful summary. When we listen to our own babble, we're scattered. When we assemble under his word, we're gathered, not just physically, but spiritually. There's unity. You can see that in secular terms. One of the problems, whatever you're right wing, left wing, that's indifference. But one of the problems evident in the, in, the, in the modern West is we gather under and we only listen to our own babble and we don't listen to other voices. If we could gather together, there are so few events nationally which gather the nations why we get very excited by sport because it sort of gathers us. But so few things gather people in unity. Well, the plan of God is to gather all things under Jesus Christ. And practically, it's very hard to follow or to live faithfully following the Lord Jesus unless we gather to hear him speak. But we know that. Christy reminded us earlier, 18 months of on and off regulations, lockdowns, in church, out of church, Zoom from home, a few people in the building, all that. It was hard. Even now, some unable to gather because of health concerns. It's hard. You know, when we first came back and could just listen to one person sing and we all stood there, and we weren't allowed to talk to anyone else in the building, and, and then we went outside it was, and could speak to one person outside. It was thin gruel. And yet, 
And yet there was still something, wasn't there, about physically gathering. There's still something about we're hearing this together. We're looking around, because we can't speak, and so, whatever. And um, we all got very good at charades, but we're looking around. But implicitly we're saying, we all believe this, don't we? We all need this, don't we? We all need, even if it's just one person singing at us and we're humming along, great is thy faithfulness. We need one another to declare that to one another. We need that, don't we? And we are going to live this way, aren't we? We're looking at one another saying, yeah, let's do this properly. Let's live faithfully. Even when it was the thinnest of gruel, gathering helps. Well, of course it does. It's biblically mandated. Of course, some would say, oh, what does it matter? Uh, I can listen to sermons online. I can read the Bible on my own. Uh, perhaps I can just read the Bible with one other person. But only when we gather as church is it a foretaste of the heavenly gathering and an expression of it here and now. Well, in the language of Hebrews, you know, Hebrews chapter 10, the, the author doesn't say, do not give up on the habit of having quiet times, although that's really a good thing to do. He does say, do not give up on the habit of meeting together, because that's what we need, first and foremost. Look, how do we change the world? Well, we follow God's word and we'll show his wisdom, and, but we'll only do that if we gather together to hear him and fear him. What would that look like for the 1030 congregation? It's may be my sheet. There are four questions I sent through. Have they come through? Are they, not on, are they on the sheets? No? They haven't got printed. Are they going to go on the screen? Maybe they'll just go on the screen. Okay. Um, you have to write them down. Uh, one, two, three, four. Well, one or two we've covered. Let me just talk about them briefly because we've mentioned them. What's that going to look like for this congregation, the 1030 congregation? Well, look, first question, where will you display or where can you display the wisdom of God in right living or, or where can you carry on doing that? Are you conscious of that? Let me ask you. We can, let's talk about these afterwards uh, in the park. Where are you conscious of that? Uh, secondly, how are you conscious that assembling to hear God's word spurs you on? But let me get specific on the last two. How will you be involved in teaching the next generation? So this emphasis here particularly comes out in verses 9 and 10. Teach God's word to your children and grandchildren. Verse 10. Assemble the people so they can teach their children. How will you be involved in teaching the next generation? Make a few comments here. Uh, so if you haven't picked up, a slight shift in, in, in staffing patterns this year. So uh, James Kite, uh, rather than just being children's worker now, uh, giving him the title family's minister, that's not just a vacuous title change. Uh, the, the, the shift there is meant to be, rather than just overseeing the teaching of the children, James will continue to oversee it, but now to, to call it, help families think through, how are we teaching the next generation? How are we doing that? Um, together with others, to make sure that the resources are in place to help parents do that. Anna Wilson coming in to take on more of the uh, week-by-week uh, teaching of the children. So, so please pray for that. Uh, someone know James is not well at the moment, uh, slightly limping on, so pray 
for a clear diagnosis uh, and so he can uh, uh, recover. Pray that that's helpful. A second thing on, under this, what about, for many here, you can help the next generation, not the smallest perhaps, but the students, the 20-somethings. Oh, there's a good legacy here, lots involved in reading the Bible one-to-one -one with a student, but also meeting up with young professionals, either to read the Bible one-to-one -one or sometimes just a mentoring, meeting up once a term, how is work, what is going on, from someone who's 10, 20 years further on, helping people live the Christian life. What does it look like? What does it look like at the work when your boss is wanting this? and the Mentoring. You can help the next generation in that sense. And so perhaps for some of us, this would be a good year to adopt a student, to read with a young professional, meet timely for counsel with someone. The next generation, the third little thing to say on that. Um, church regulars will know that this year we've, we've got barely any ministry trainees. Now, I think that's pretty unsurprising over the last two years. Uh, people have not physically met. Uh, people slightly quickly forget what, what that means and what it involves. I think it's pretty unsurprising after the last 18 months or so. But um, it has always been central to the ministry of this church to send young people off into full-time ministry. It's always been central. Um, and it's one of those prayer, you just see the prayer requests going and numerous of those on there are heading off. Chris heading off to, I think I'm allowed to say the Horn of Africa or um, uh, this uh, in the next couple of weeks. That's always been part of the legacy. You know, Helen off to college, Connie off to college this summer. And so we need to get back to returning to, to raising up those ministry trainees. So please praise towards that. Um, towards that end. But worth asking the question, how can you be involved in teaching the next generation? Fourth and last. How will you ensure that you don't let the truth fade or get forgotten? Verse 9, be careful, watch yourselves closely so you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Very easy for the truth and therefore zeal to fade. You know, there'd be plenty of people here who, in their 20s, age 22 or something, said, I want to change the world for Jesus Christ. And 20 years on, say, I want to change my car for something with a bit of beer engine. I want to change the curtains. I'm a bit bored of the curtains. And, oh, yeah, I think my ambitions were a little more exciting back then. Nothing wrong with curtains or a car, but don't live for them. Moses is just realistic here. Just be careful. It's very easy to let your zeal, the truth of what Jesus Christ has done for you, functionally fade in your mind. Be careful. So how will you ensure this year that you keep growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Because at the most basic level, that's what we want to be. Growing disciples of Jesus Christ. It's what we want to be. It's what we want to be doing. Growing disciples of Jesus Christ. More. We'd love to see more disciples of him. Deeper. More mature. 
but we want to both be growing disciples and do the work of growing disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how will you ensure that you don't let the truth fade or get forgotten? I wonder, if you were to do one thing outside of your comfort zone for Jesus this year, what might that be? Is you know, oh yeah, I, I heard so-and-so, he's doing this, I couldn't do that. What might it be? How would I have a go? Look, how are we going to change the world? I think Moses would permit me to say, what we're going to do is we're going to do church simply and do it well. Okay, That's how you change the world. We follow God's word faithfully, and the world sees the wisdom of doing that. Maybe not tomorrow. It may take time. But if we're going to follow him faithfully, we do need to gather in order that we hear him and fear him. And that's how we change the world. And as we'll see next time, we do that for the Lord Jesus Christ, because in the language of verse 35, there is no other like him. It speaks like him, that rescues like him, that transforms like him. So with him as our God, we can change the world. And it just means we do church really well. Let me pray first, and then Andy and Vicky will come and lead us further. Let me pray. Our great God and Father, here are simple instructions. It doesn't really take a huge amount to, uh, to gather together. Uh, listening, we're all quite good at. Hearing and faithfully obeying, oh, that takes a bit more. Father, would we be those who don't just allow words to hit our eardrums, but listen in a fashion which transforms our lives so that a watching world does look on and say, yeah, I'm not sure about everything those Christians believe, but I, I, I need to understand more because how they relate to one another, how they give of themselves, it is different. So, Father, this year, would we do the basics right? Would we assemble around the truths of the Scripture, assemble around your Word, and consequently live faithfully so that others would praise your name? Amen.